Hi there, it's Jaime Alejandro, and this is the Arts Calling Podcast, the place where I interview hardworking independent creatives in the literary, visual, and performing arts. I'm going to cut right to the chase today. I am thrilled to be Arts Calling Heather G. Marshall. Heather is an adoptee, author, teacher, speaker, coach, and traveler. Her short fiction has been published in a variety of journals, including Black Middens, New Writing Scotland, and Quarried, an anthology of the best of three decades of pine mountains, sand, and gravel. Her first novel, The Thorn Tree, is now available from MP Publishing. Her TED Talk, Letting Go of Expectations, centers around her adoption and reunion. Originally from Scotland, Heather is currently based in Massachusetts. We had a delightful conversation very recently to talk about her new novel, When the Ocean Flies, and it is now available from Vine Leaves Press. This was an awesome conversation that I hope you enjoy as much as we did. And without further delay, let's give Heather a call. Hello, anybody there? Hello. Hey, good afternoon. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Heather. I'm really excited to get to chat with oh, you. Oh, thank you for yours and your good work on the <laughs> podcast. It's great. Wonderful. It's such a pleasure. So I'm very excited to get to talk about your work and some of your life experiences. You've had a tremendous journey, and I feel like uh, it, it's going to be a wonderful time. So how are you? Where are you? actually. Um, I am wonderful. And actually, at the minute, I'm in South Carolina. I normally live in Massachusetts. Um, but I have some family here and I'm down uh, visiting and getting ready for a book launch event at a favorite bookstore here. So I'm I'm from I'm in South Carolina right now. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. And the new work is When the Ocean Flies, which is coming out at the end of this month. Is that right? Or are we right about there? It's 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 releasing tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. Perfect so timing. February 27th. Excellent, yeah. excellent. So I'll be sure to get this one out uh, just in time. I think it'll be, it'll be a wonderful opportunity to get it out this week. But um, before we get to the work, which I'm excited to chat about, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. You've had a tremendous story, and uh, I'm curious if you could share with me some of your origins and, and where this inclination to, to look at the world the way you do uh, starts. Could we go to the beginning and maybe we could get a sense of, uh, of what was growing up like for you? So I was uh, I was born in Scotland and um, adopted um, in Scotland as well by Scottish parents and um, did my growing up there and then subsequently uh, the whole family emigrated to the United States lived here for a long time in the U.S. I have raised my own family here. Um, have children and grandchildren here. And in my 30s, I went on a little adventure to find my biological parents and found my natural mother and then my natural father and uh, got to know them. And I'm still um, in what we call in reunion with my uh, biological mother um, and the rest of the, the family there. 
um, and knew my biological father for about six years um, until he died. Mm-hmm. And so that was all, uh, um, well, as you can probably imagine, that was a life-changing uh, event to be able to find them and connect with them and find uh, family. And so that part of my biological history so that's a very concise version of it Um, i don't know if you were looking for something else in particular this is this is absolutely wonderful because it sets the stage for the way that you see the world and i had the pleasure of watching your ted talk which i feel kind of goes into into some specifics of how your worldview of expectation has been set. And, and of course, your perspective as a writer might be able to clue us in a little bit more about how you've refined that perspective. So could you tell me when you began writing or, or what, was, what was sort of the association with writing when you were younger and how has that changed over time? So when I was younger, um, I, I recall being, I must have been, I don't know, eight, nine, ten ish, um, elementary school age, and I recall a friend and I. Um, we were we were doing a book together, mm. and we were children, so of course we were doing a children's book, and um, I was the writer, and she was the she was the artist for that book. I have n- absolutely no recollection <laughs> of. What, what the context, what the story was, anything. I just remember sort of rainy afternoons in my room and, and me doing the writing bit and her doing the, her doing the drawing bit. And, and so that all of that is just to say that I was attracted to writing and, and to language uh, from a very young age. I used to um, either walk or take the bus into the library on Saturday mornings um as a as a girl in elementary school as like something fun to do (laughs) (laughs) um and i just love being in the library and being around all those books and all the words and i and i always was attracted to not just the books but the um the way the way that language works different languages as well and how people use language in you know to connect or or to disconnect as well. That yeah. I was just always fascinated with how how language works for us as human beings. Right. Um, that right. like the sound of it and the feel of it and and all of that. And so I I just so so written language was just something that was always fascinating mm. to me. Were there any and my writing oh, grew go out ahead. of that. Yeah, no. So just my writing sort of grew out of that fascination with what you can, what you can do yeah. with these twenty-six letters that were provided in the English language. <laughs> what were some works at the time that you felt really inspired you, or some pieces at the time that that really made you feel like you could pursue something like this, or maybe took you to a different world? Um, so this is a little bit trite since I'm Scottish, but um, <laughs> I, I liked the poetry of Robert Burns. Um, he it, mostly, again, because of the language, because he was a poet who was writing in the way that Scottish people spoke. Mm. And so that was interesting uh, to uh, and also writing about just what was in his world. So not anything didn't have to be anything. You didn't have to be a fancy person to to write, you could just write about what's right there for you, and that's right. engaging. And then I remember 
very early on really liking Ray Bradbury. Now, again, mm. I would have been about 10 or 11. And then sort of followed what I would say is a very pedestrian trajectory. I read, um, I read The Hobbit, you know, like those imaginary worlds of Tolkien. Um, and then as I got older, um, you know, moved into obviously some some different different worlds and different works and and then writing became not just about the language um but about ways of seeing the world and portraying mm. the world yeah. um and I'd like people like michael ondace has a marvelous way of seeing the world and also is just a master of of language um and then you know more recently uh authors like sarah waters who's looking sort of back historically um, and, and looking at like the Victorian time period or World War II, or different eras mm. and, and putting a different lens on them than what sort of a history book might tell you. What's the human side of that? Who are that, the other kinds of people that don't show up in history books? Right, right. It seems like there's a there there's per, perhaps an interest in taking a narrative and and just finding your way into it. Maybe something that's already existing. Maybe some some uh, uh, yeah some of those historical works. And the reason I kind of wanted to start this way is because something really strikes me about the the work of fiction that you're creating, in particular with the last two works that you did. They seem to be rooted in a lot of your personal experiences, but they are in a fictional setting, perhaps fictional characters, but yeah. there, there seem to be sort of flavors of your own experiences. And I'm curious how you, you arrive at that point rather than saying perhaps it, this is better than nonfiction because, uh, you know, especially when there's folks who, uh, may be dealing with trauma, maybe dealing with something that is, that is difficult to overcome, may want to share certain messages, but I just love that you're doing this. And so I'm curious how you arrive at this, this uh, perspective of using that fiction to to share your story in a way, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, so I apologize if I went too far. No, no, there. no, you're 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 spot on there, and I w particularly with uh, the the book that's coming out uh, tomorrow. I it, that's been a long, long journey for me, the writing of it, and I I knew that I wanted to write about this experience of being adopted and being separated from the people that biologically I'm from and also from being separated from the landscape that I'm from. I'm, I'm In my writing, I'd like to explore our connection to the natural environment. Mm. And I, I, I tried <laughs> to write it as memoir, creative nonfiction and what I realized along that path is that I I did want to speak to some of and investigate some of my personal experiences like those that I've just mentioned but I I wanted to explore something that was larger than my narrow experience and i know that there are lots and lots of adoptees out in the in the world who are having this journey um and i and i so i wanted to explore that a little bit and and 
how the the things that have, that I've experienced in my life impacted my sense of identity. And as I was engaging with more and more adoptees, I, I realized a lot of the commonalities there. Mm. And I wanted also to look at the ancestral impact. And so it like intergenerational grief and separation. And, and I was then inevitably, maybe inevitably is not the right word, but I was sort of forced into fiction because these people were not there for me to say, what is your, what was your experience of this? What is mm. your grief? What is it? So I was then left to, if I wanted to continue to explore that, it was going to have to be fictional. Mm. Um, and, and I did feel that that was a critical thread in the story that I wanted to tell. And so that's why I sort of, one of the key reasons that I moved away from writing a memoir or doing something mm -hmm. um, just non-fictional. Yeah, and just to make sure that folks know, this is your second uh, book that came out, is that correct? It is, that is correct. Yeah, so I had one that came out 10 years ago. I can't believe it's been 10 years, but it was called The Thorn Tree. Um, and it came it came out 10 years ago. And one of the things that's in common with both books is that there's a, a significant older female character. Mm. Um, and, and in both cases, those characters are completely fictitious, but they are born of my love of older women, which, um, and, and in my author's notes, I've sort of joked, it's a good thing I like older women because the years are moving on. <laughs> um, but I, I was brought up with um, my, my um, dad's mother, my paternal grandmother, um, had several sisters. Um, and my mom's mother had a couple of sisters. And these women were significant in my childhood. And so even though the older female characters in my books are fictitious, they're, they're based um, on sort of a deep love and admiration and respect that I have for uh, what we gain as women in, in particularly in the later years of our lives. Yeah, and it's great to see because I feel that perhaps we don't get uh, a lot of uh, uh, female protagonists who are, who are I would say, uh, you know, uh, more experienced or perhaps uh, up there in age and, and things like that. So it's really wonderful to see. Now, how do you arrive at, at putting these characters together in your latest work? What do you think is is the the bare essentials that we need to know about these characters before we, we go into this journey of when the ocean flies? So I think we need to know about the protagonist, Allison. So she's a woman in her 50s. And she's going through a divorce and she's facing empty nests. She's got four children and three of them are already grown and gone. And the, the youngest one is about to embark on her college journey. So she's a woman who's navigating some significant life changes, uh, which a lot of us do. Um, and and so she gets the news that sort of starts the the story that her her biological father has died so this is an added thing that then sort of forces or 
maybe brings to the fore faster than it, than it otherwise would have come some some decisions that she has to make about her life and some things she has to face. Um, and then we have a series of letters uh, from her grandmother, and this is a woman who um, is up in in age, and she's lived a full life and she's she's lived a good life um but in it she's and she's also the holder of ancestral stories mm. and she feels as she's writing these letters increasingly that she has sort of held these stories within her and she's she's sort of yearning for a place to make sure they don't make sure they live on Make sure they live on with her. Um, and of course, we have some other key people. We have the biological mother there as well in her journey. And then um, Vic, who's a, a friend of the, the protagonist, um, who's um, in Allison's life and then not and then and then back in um, again who's sort of had her own journey in the time that that she and Allison have not been in touch and we we find all that out as well yeah there's a lot of questions already in the story <laughs> which is wonderful <laughs> yeah. to hear so uh, in terms of Allison as a protagonist for you uh, do you find it difficult to to not make Allison an avatar of your own experience or do you feel like uh, she's a completely different human being with only traces of you. Um, I, I don't mean to to sort of conflate the two and, and say that, that she is you, but um, it, are there some parallels perhaps? I mean, there are in the, in the, if you look at sort of bones of the story in terms of this happened to me and that happened to me and, and this other thing happened to me, um, so the bones are there that are parallels. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I always think that an interesting thing happens, I, I think for all or most writers, and it definitely happens for me, that that we might start working with a character and, and we have somebody in mind that we've met maybe or, or a grouping of people. You know, like, oh, I'd, I'd like to write about somebody who's like this person and that person. Mm -hmm. And then as I write into them, I find that they become themselves, if you will. Mm -hmm. So that then her reactions to things are not necessarily my reactions. In some ways they might be, but in other ways they're wildly different to the ways that I might respond. So even though we could say Allison is adopted... Heather is adopted, and there are some parallels in responses to that. She is her own person. So when I think of these people, when I think of Allison, I think of her as herself. When I think of Mary, the biological mother, she's she's not my mother. And I was a little bit anxious about that. Like, have I have I manufactured this in my head just to say, oh, this is definitely fiction? Mm. Um, but I was talking to my so my biological mother. Uh, read early has read the book and, and read earlier oh. drafts and we were talking about this very thing about the the close parallels and and yet the the fictional aspect of it and i and i sort of said to her well the mother in the book is your mother 
like if we were making parallels, right? Um, and she said, well, that's absolutely not my mother. <laughs> and so I thought, right, well, I've, that, good, I've done it. That <laughs> she's so clearly her response is like, that's not my mom. Mm. Yeah. So and- they, they just take on their own, their own lives. Absolutely. There seems to be oh, so much to so, so many opportunities for you to to say this could be such an opportunity for me to just imbue everything that I have to give everything that I feel emotionally about my personal experience. But uh, perhaps that is the more liberating thing is that it becomes a starting point for for these characters to become themselves and to really thrive in their own yes. world and things like that. But uh, this this sort of leads me to to think about how difficult it must be to overcome a difficult trauma or, you know, uh, overcoming so many things in your life and really becoming atoned with those situations, those personal situations that your work doesn't become just sort of an echo of those things. And I imagine that there's been a lot of work. And, and as you've mentioned, and I've read in the past, you are a coach. You're able to to help work with writers and things like that. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit more. But in terms of your personal experiences, at what point did you feel comfortable writing about this stuff in a way that didn't feel just plain expository or, or like a venting process and, and more of a like an artistic pursuit? Because I imagine that there there was a lot of processing um, in, in terms of preparing emotionally to to be at peace with things. There was. Um, there was a lot of processing. There was a lot of therapy. There was that, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in therapy. It's been good for me. Um, a, a lot of facing of, of things, just looking at this is what happened to me. And then ultimately um, sort of taking responsibility and saying, well, yeah, that, that thing happened to me and I can, I could live there for the rest of my life with this bad thing happened to me, or mm. I could figure out how I have a, a thriving life anyway what do we do with that how do we heal that and I, and I do think that writing about it has helped um, as somebody who has always been drawn to writing into language um, the and I you know I journal regularly and that's utterly separate to what I'm writing creatively but it, it does help to clear it helps to clear the space for that. And then I do think in the writing of this book that there there was a period of time where it it did become a little bit of a early on in the writing of it. Mm-hmm. There was a it, it was sort of a venting thing. And I realized that I'd gone off track with what I wanted to do with the novel. And the other thing that I realized was that I could not proceed with the novel until I had cleared that space. Mm. So I, I, I basically just kept writing. I just kept going and going and, and, and it was going, it was long. <laughs> um, until I felt that that was spent. And then I was able to say, okay, so I've got these literally hundreds of pages. And now <laughs> that, that's off to the side, done. Um, and and so that and there was also therapy in, as sure, as part sure. of that, and, and I also have a um, 
I have a long-standing meditation practice, and several years ago, I became a mindfulness teacher, and and that practice, the awareness practice, was going on at the same. I'm doing the writing, and I'm doing the mindfulness at the same time, and I'm what that's doing for me as a person is making me more aware mm. of what's going on and what I haven't actually dealt with that I might have told myself I had or thought I had. And and all of that is contributing to the clearing of space so that this work could be what I originally set it out to be. So, I, I mean, I started it probably... F- the, the nugget of it probably 14 years ago. Wow. And then I I went away from it and I finished the thorn tree, which came out in 2014. And then I returned to it, realized that I still had, I wasn't ready. I didn't have enough distance from it. And I, I did all this hundreds of pages of writing and clearing and mindfulness. And then I went back to it again. And then I was ready to actually approach it. Yeah. And there's so many questions that I want to ask you because you, you, I, I want to go into a couple of different directions, but uh, let, let me just ask you a, a, a question of, of practicality here in terms of structuring the story. Because as you said, you had hundreds of pages that you were sifting through and going through. Did you already have a sense of the structure that the story was going to take? Or do you work in a more organic sense where you just have to uh, continue to create work and, and, you know, write as many scenes as possible, if you will, and then try to shape it after? Or or did you have a clear roadmap uh, before you began? No, I it, it's kind of funny because I feel like in my life, I'm a, I'm a really good planner. And I, I do like a roadmap in my life. And I, you know, I like to have goals and things. <laughs> um, and in my writing, I am completely the opposite it is all sit down see what happens Mm. um i had a an instructor a poet named um kathy smith bowers when i was at queen's university in their mfa program and she said that she always starts with an image and she writes into the mystery Mm. and that has been so resonant with me and that's what I feel like like I'm sitting down and I have an idea and then I'm I'm writing into the mystery and that maybe sounds frustrating to people who are listening like how do you do that the <laughs> mindfulness practice ties into that as well I think where you just t- take a deep breath and you're like well I am here this morning it's usually in the morning and I'm with for instance Allison and I've started a scene I know that she's on the coast, she's doing this, and then we're just going to type away, or the first drafts are always handwritten, and we're going to see what happens here. Mm. Some of it will stay, some of it will not. I I did at a point in time, um, I had just a straight narrative, was Allison, 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 and I was like, well, this is awful. (laughs) And the pages that turned into the epistolary section were sort of written from this third person point of view. And I, the whole thing was third person and I turned it on its head and I was like, right, we're going to do this whole thing first person. Then I was up against a conundrum with the epistolary section because you couldn't write first person from a grandmother's point of view. Mm. Um, And so it wasn't working. I think I redid a hundred pages of it like that. 
and thought, no. And then I thought, well, Heather, you don't have to be married to one point of view throughout the course of any particular work. And so then I arrived at the different points of view that are in the novel. So there's mm. one that's um, past tense, sort of omniscient. There's one that's, um, and it's third third person. There's one that's uh, third person present tense with Alison. And then there are the letters from, from the grandmother, which are... Wow because they're letters, they're, they're first person. And that was finally what, what I landed on after trying it on. So I it basically write organically and then try to see how I can fit the whole thing together in a way that, that fits what I'm, what I'm aiming for. Yeah. Yeah. So between the time when you wrote your first one and, and this new work, how has your process changed in the way that you approach a novel? You know, this is this is massive work that has to be that has to be uh, undertaken. And I'm curious how how your process has has improved. Did you feel that it improved or or changed uh, over the years? I think the way that I think it did improve, and I think the big shift for me is that I got less I, I, I much less attached to um, being on any sort of schedule that the schedule part speaks to that I like a plan in my life mm. <laughs> but um, I think I got much less I, I, I sort of came to the place where I was approaching the revision process in a much more playful way mm. so I have this body of text that I've written this manuscript and instead of it being um, how do I make this good enough you know how, how do I make this good enough it the approach was more um, what can I do with this what if I turn it this way, then what happens? Mm. And without so much of the, and I, I need to have another book published by X number of years after the first one. Just like, I'm doing this because I love to do it. And I do hope that it, it reaches readers and it resonates with them and all of the things that we hope for books. But ultimately, there's as much joy in the sort of playing with the, initial manuscript to see it it's more like sort of opening a new toy and seeing like well, well what if i what if i tried this with it then what would happen mm. and not feeling um disappointed or as though i'd gone down some sort of wrong path like when i put it all in first person i didn't feel like i'd gone down a wrong path i felt that i had had an experience of it in this way and it just wasn't what I wanted to do with it. And it led me to the next thing. And so approaching the writing process more as, yes, of course, I would like to have this be a book. But it's more the like the joy of the journey over the destination. Right. We're here on a ride. And we're going to see, we don't even know how long it is. We don't know how long it's going to take. But we're here to just explore what's under here and what we can find out from it. 
Yeah, and you know that really applies to the theory of your recent talk, which is this idea of letting go of the expectation. I think it, it blinds us so much as creative people that I'm curious if we could talk a bit more about how you arrived to to find yourself as a coach and re- realizing that that perhaps you have this notion and and other messages to share with with other folks um, like yourself because um, you you mentioned you work with writers adoptees teachers and and folks of that nature if you could elaborate a little bit more because I I loved your TED talk I I thought it was so eye opening well, and and really I'm gonna put it in the episode description so folks can check it out but if you could share a little bit more about that angle of it and how it informs the creative process and the rest of your life. So I think that, um, so I, I worked in education for a long time and I just fairly recently um, left that career in education. And there's a lot about being a teacher. Um, and I also, I worked teaching teachers as well at a point in time. And so there's a lot about that. That's very similar to coaching. And I think that um what I was after, at any rate, um, and I think it is what good teachers are after. Yes, we're hitting standards and we're doing all that sort of stuff. But really, especially if you're teaching in the humanities, you're and not exclusive to the humanities, but you're you're in a way coaching young people sort of into themselves mm. to to draw out their 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 goodness, what their talents are, to to figure out who they are. I was teaching uh, the last eight years. I was teaching high school, so that's a lot about figuring out who you are. It's all about identity and and trying on different things and what your talents are and what your aspirations are. So I think there's a strong parallel there to um, coaching, and then I. I was actually getting some adoptees, some of whom had found the TED Talk, who were mm. emailing me and saying, okay, great, let go of expectations. <laughs> and how precisely do you propose that I do that? <laughs> you know, and so that, so that sort of turned on the, okay, well, maybe I do have something that, um, and some skills and just things that I've learned on my own journey that are worth um, coaching people with, mm-hmm. helping people through. Um, and so that's kind of where that started. Was It was really from other people sort of saying, can you, can you help me access this? Mm-hmm. Um, that I sort of thought, well, well, yes, I think I, I can actually help you access that. <laughs> Um, you know, whether it's it going further with what you want to do with writing or, you know, a lot for, for teachers is, is really about um, keeping your keeping your head on, keeping your sanity, keeping your boundaries, keeping your yeah. keeping yourself going while you're giving so much to to young people all day, every day. And then, you know, for adoptees you know, like having people contact me and say things like, um, well, I saw your TED talk and I've, I found my biological mother and she just isn't doing the reunion the way I want her to do the reunion. Mm. And I, I, I don't know what to do about that. 
and and so a lot of that is is sort of coaching through um, that letting go of expectation process. That's not to say that we then become doormats, but <laughs> having a better yeah. way of um, navigating that so that we're not constantly frustrated yeah. by, so that we're not constantly frustrated needlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, Right, yeah. right. That's such a mindful perspective, and I really think that it it completely alleviates so much of of somebody's life and somebody's uh, concerns that they that they're carrying with them. But um, this is such a random question, but I'm curious of your mindfulness perspective and how how you arrive at that because. Um, you know, clearly, like some folks are are dismissive sometimes of the the yoga or mindfulness aspect and, and how it can improve somebody's quality of life. And uh, I'm I'm curious if this was something that you've always had with you. Uh, did you did you enter mindfulness uh, recently, or was it a few years back, or when you were younger? Um, and and maybe are there some things that um, that you can impart for folks who might be hesitant to try that sort of perspective? Um. So I started working with meditation, mindfulness, 30 years ago, Mm. so in my 20s. Um, And part of what led me to that was that I had quite bad anxiety um, that at times was preventing me from even entering a building that I like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go to this event and then pull up in the, in the parking lot. And I couldn't make myself go in that kind of thing. And I thought I, I have to, I have to do something about this if I'm going to have a functional life um, and depression as well. And so that there was, and I do want to say this to people that if you're um, recovering from trauma you would want someone with you as you embark on a mindfulness practice. I know that we get a lot in the in the media around us today about mindfulness is going to make you calm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's sort of a sell point. If you take three breaths, you'll be calm. Mm. That's probably true most of the time. It's helpful. Breathing is helpful, and there's some physiology behind that. Um, But ultimately, if you're embarking on a a deep mindfulness practice, it's going to lead you to the things that you've been avoiding. And that's why I say if you're you're recovering from trauma, you would want a therapist or somebody else there with you to help you through it because it's going to eventually throw all the undigested business Mm -hmm. back up at you. And if you keep going with it, it is going to provide you with a tool to heal from and and navigate that. Um, And so I've had a long, a long journey with mindfulness and meditation. And I, for me, it has been very healing and it, it is a, it is definitely a tool Mm. for me that, that has allowed and that still allows me to notice, um, you know, when some of that stuff, I think if we have traumatic events in our lives, we do heal from them. But then there are points like like any sort of grief, you know, you have a death and you do heal from it. And mm-hmm. then 10 years down the road, 
something comes up, some small thing sometimes, a smell, a sound, and it, it just takes you right back and it brings you right back mm-hmm. there. And so mindfulness is a way of, of, of noticing that and being able to hold it and move through it instead of pushing it away, if that makes any sense. Um, so that it's not... Um, it's not so much like buffering in the background and running the show. I, I feel safer being aware of it and saying, "Oh, oh, hi! Oh, you're here. Okay, mm-hmm. well, let's see yeah. what's uh, let's see what's going on here, and and let's sit with it." And that's an oversimplification, but um, sure. But it's it's such yeah. a that, um, did that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. I way? I just I just love hearing you talk about this because um, as I watched your TED talk, there was this beautiful phrase that you used, something to the effect of of sitting in the reality that you're in, and and understanding that whatever it is that you're experiencing or you're feeling, the bravest thing you can do is just confront it, just even acknowledge it, and and really let it guide you towards some kind of reconciliation whether it's in the moment or more of a long-term thing and i i just really adored that and i i think it's so liberating that is true liberation is whatever concern you have like to really work toward accepting that in some way and and finding strength to to use it to some benefit i i think is so powerful yeah um but as as you Obviously, this is about to make it into the world when the ocean flies. This novel is on the verge of... We're on the eve of, of the release we here. We are on the eve. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm curious what feelings you're left with as this is about to, to go into the world. And what is your expectation? How are you going against it? <laughs> you know, and, and what is it that you're working through right now? So um, there's a lot, um, and I, I want to say first that I am um, I'm really grateful here for you and also for the questions that you've asked me tonight, <laughs> because some of them have been the questions that I've been worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, you know, what are people going to think? They're going to say, well, this is, this is actually a memoir. You know, and and she's not fictionalized anything. And so having the opportunity to talk about that is absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Um, I know that it is a look at the adoptee experience that is, is not what the sort of common narrative about adoption is um particularly in america i think it's um the the narrative around adoption often is that it's just it's a happy loving solution um and it and it can be i'm not you know not saying that um there isn't any love involved in it not at all but just that this is a look at um experiences that adoptees have of that that separation and the identity loss and the biology loss and the ancestry and all of that and so it's that look and i'm hopeful that um readers will resonate with it and 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 readers who are who don't have any involvement with adoption will sort of take that as a oh okay this is another lens Mm. at this right also hopeful that adoptees who are reading it will um find some resonance with it and um 
feel sort of seen, if you will, mm-hmm. in their own experience. Um, uh, of course, I, I have hopes that it will do well in the world and be received well. We all do with our art. And I'm, I'm, I think grappling with it as, as those of us who have children sort of grapple with, it's a bit of a trite analogy, the whole child thing, but in many ways it, it's accurate. This is going out in the world and it's not mine anymore. Mm. I mean, it is mine. Obviously I wrote it. But the, the novel then enters into relationship with whomever is reading it. Mm-hmm. And so the sort of heart work that I'm doing with myself is just to allow that and to recognize that not everybody will love it <laughs> and to hope that, because that's true of any work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and and just to hope that it does some good in the world and that people do connect with and love Allison and Ailey and Vic and Mary, um, similar to the way that I've come to love them in sort of writing them into life. So that's kind of where I am with it now. And I and I feel that I'm I've um I've done a lot of work, internal work, um, in the lead up to this to sort of prepare for these conversations where people are saying, okay, you're adopted and you had this experience and, and what's fiction and what's not fiction and, and just what's your what's your take on this? And I, I feel feel that um, I, I think I'm ready for, for us to go out in the world. <laughs> That's that's beautiful to hear, and I'm very grateful for your your time and for allowing me to kind of prod away at the work that you've been working yeah. so so diligently on, and and you've been pouring so much of yourself into, but also not because this is not just you. It is uh, these are their own characters, right? And, uh, no, it's much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I have one more question to be mindful of your time here, and I got to say, Heather, this has been such a pleasure and i'm so thrilled that we got a chance to to do this just before the book came out and i'll i'll be sure to get it out this week um if if i may i'm curious what's on the horizon for you what you're looking to do in terms of of uh the next project i know it's very very early to talk about the next project but but just if there's any inkling of what the future holds for for you i'd love to hear it so at the moment um i am Working on, um, I'm actually, I am actually working on some nonfiction, um, some essays um, to speak more directly to adoptees in terms of the healing process, um, if you will, um, in the hopes that um, I can put put some more practical ideas and tools out into the world that will help um, adoptees be able to face all the feelings that they have and realize that they can be whole, happy, thriving uh, human beings despite the separation. So I'm working on that. And then I'm actually... 
toying with a, and I've, I've started writing a little bit. So there's, um, I don't want to give too much away about the book, but there is um, the paternal grandmother in the book is not a particularly nice woman. She's certainly not portrayed as being a particularly nice woman in the book. And as I was thinking about what to write next, I was, I was in a bit of a drought. And I what I landed on is it's her. And so I've actually started writing a book um, that begins in her childhood in the early 20th century mm. um, in England. And um, I'm following that along. And as, as, as we do when we are writers who are the kinds of writers who don't have a plan, um, I already have um, some other characters who've entered that who are not at all in When the Ocean Flies. And so sort of exploring um, her, her path as a, as a young woman um, during World War II and, and so on. And so I, I, I would say more about that, but because I'm an organic writer, I'm not exactly sure where it's going to lead, <laughs> but I'm enjoying um, writing sort of more into the, into the human aspect of this character who is just not very nice at all in When the Ocean Flies. Um, and that's where I'm going. So those two things, that uh, possible novel that's based on Mrs. McGuinness and um, some nonfiction work that I hope will be helpful in healing for adoptees. Oh, that's phenomenal to hear. And I think it's a great note to end on. I apologize that we only scratched the surface, but as with any great guest, it usually takes a couple of conversations to cover a lot of bases. So thank you so much, Heather, for your writing, for your openness here today, and for the work that you're putting out into the world. I mean, uh, this is really valuable for, you know, not not just folks who are who are experiencing a specific kind of trauma, but, you know, for folks who are looking to overcome and accept, you know, things as um as they are and and working through through a lot of difficult things so i'm very grateful to have gotten the chance to talk to you and i do hope that we get to chat down the road i would love that thank you so much for your time and thank you again for arts calling uh, i have been enjoying um listening to the other creatives on here and your fabulous questions and so just wonderful to be a part of it oh it's such a pleasure thank you so much heather that means a lot and uh stick around for just a moment i'm gonna wrap us out here but i'll talk to you real soon 